Yes, I hope you. I hope my voice isn't echoing too much. <laughs> I'm taking a. I'm taking a video just so everyone can see how you're frozen. <laughs> he looks like it looks like one of those pictures on like a missing persons poster. <laughs> oh, it's very flattering light. <laughs> Welcome to the 22nd episode of the Animal Riot Podcast, brought to you by Animal Riot Press, a literary press for books that matter. I'm your host, Brian Birnbaum. Uh, Just to let you know, if you're new to the Animal Riot community, uh, welcome. And you can find find out more about us at AnimalRiotPress.com. And uh, just to let you know that we are re-recording this episode because of um, legal troubles, I'll I'll call it. (laughs) But uh, while we're sad to see that one go, we're... um, we're happy to bring on our guest, Joy Parisi, who runs Paragraph Workspace, a workspace for writers. And there's two locations I'm in uh, Brooklyn and Manhattan. Um, so we'll, we'll be talking a lot about that so you can learn more. And Aaron Puchigian, who we've had on the podcast before um, with on, on this episode that we're uh, redoing right now. He's the author and translator of several titles, including the novel and verse Mr. Either Or, which was phenomenal. And he's now writing the sequel, right, Aaron? Yes, I am. Yes, you are. Okay, so let's get started. Uh, we're here to talk about. We'll we'll talk about Aaron's writing too. I'm sure we'll get there as we always do. But we're gonna we're gonna start off with paragraph because that's what we did on the first uh, episode that we that we aired. It was actually um, a roundtable at Paragraph with all the all the members there. Well, you know, not every member that belongs, but it was really cool. So we're sad, sad to see that one go, but. Yeah, we're giving you another chance, Joy, to to put your message out into the world and reach our 80 million podcast listeners. Excellent. Uh, yeah. To make amends for the first time. Yes, make amends, right. <laughs> well, thanks for having me again. Um, I'm sad to see the first episode go as well, or the last one, but uh, happy to, to, to reconnect with you guys and do it again. So should I talk about Paragraph? Yeah. I, I, so yeah, that's the first thing I had. I was, I was saying we should, uh, we should go into like, however, however you want to do it, but, um, you know, uh, a little look into the history, like how you started it sure. and, and what it's about, all that stuff. Okay. Uh, so about 15, a little over 15 years ago, uh, amazingly, I was in grad school with my then business partner, Lila Cecil. And, you know, co-working wasn't much of a thing back then. There was, a, you know, a handful of co-working spaces. No one really knew what that meant. Um, and, you know, we loved the community we found. We were both at the new school. We were both getting our MFAs. Um, you know, for the first time, you know, we'd always been writers, but we really felt like we were writers because we were among a community of writers. And, you know, we, we had this you know, I wouldn't say fear, but this sort of like, okay, what happens after grad school? You know, how do we, how do we keep this going? How do we, you know, we keep the community that we love and everything we love about grad school in our lives. Um, so there was some, some selfishness to it. Um, Lila was working at the Brooklyn writer space at the time. So there was that co-working space and she loved it. So we had an idea to start our own. Um, we thought it was you know, really useful. Where do writers write in the city? And they, you know, they sneak in spots in coffee shops and, um, you know, but, and where do they find community? So we started building the idea in grad school together. And when we graduated, we looked um, at lots of spaces in the city. Uh, we found our location on 14th Street um, after a long search and kind of threw some of our own personal money into it and hope for the best. And we got really lucky um, in that we um, got featured in the New York Times, uh, right, like the month after our opening. And, you know, had that not happened, I don't know that we that I'd be here talking about the, the origins of Paragraph 15 years ago, honestly, because you know we didn't we didn't necessarily know what we were doing. We had sort of a hope and a dream and um, an idea, and you know a, you know a business plan. But you know, had we not got that that press from the Times, which is so powerful, um, really spread the word like wildfire. Uh, and then we kind of grew and, and were able to sustain ourselves. Um, it might, might be a different story right now. So in 15 years, I'm really grateful for, you know, so many writers have come through our doors, so many books, so many publications, so many things have been written there at the space. So I feel very personally fortunate to have Paragraph. Um, 
to contribute in, in that way to the, to, you know, the literary community in the city and, and, to, and to, you know, and the community around the space is really the, what makes the space, um, which is odd to talk about now because we're in COVID, but, and our community is sort of dispersed. Um, but that has really been the magic in the 15 years is just the people and the writers um, and the connections that have been made in the space and all the writing that's come out of it. So that is like, you know, the, the big story. I don't know if I, you want to, you know, delve anywhere else. Well, yeah, it, it's funny you brought up COVID. A couple things, actually. Um, we're definitely going to touch on that. But uh, I had a really, I guess I'll phrase it as like a, a moment of narcissistic serendipity <laughs> because you mentioned uh, the piece in the New York Times that, you know, spread the word about Paragraph. And uh, we have, you know, as, as you know, we have Anthropica coming out, our second mm-hmm. title by David Hollander. Mm-hmm. And um, we have a book review coming out in the LA Times uh, review of books. So I'm hoping that uh, that statement you just made is an omen, a good omen. I hope so, too. I mean, it's powerful. LA Times is, is a powerful publication. You know, I had no idea of the, the power of, of, you know, newsprint until, until that happened for us, you know, really. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if that power still remains because back then, you know, even at the turn of the century, it was, yeah. you know, people were still, were still getting papers delivered to their door, you know, yeah. and that, yeah. and yeah, I don't, I, I actually did that for a while, um, and I cut it off because it was like, why am I paying twenty dollars for this when I can read it online for a dollar? But I did too, but it was something, you know, I'm like, this is, I'm, I'm not going to be able to have this paper delivered to my door, you know, forever. So there was some nostalgia to it, but I, I too cut it off because I was just putting in the waste bin every week. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so we'll see. Um, yeah. So let, let's talk a little bit about why you started Paragraph. Um, yeah. You know, was it, uh, you know, your business partner, was it, was it more her? Was it more you? Like what, how did it come about? You know, there was some selfishness to it. You know, we, we, like I said, we both wanted a community. We both wanted a space to write. Um, we, we, she was bartending before grad school. I was working in tech. I mean, we didn't really want to go back to that, that lifestyle. So we wanted um, to write first. Um, we wanted to make our lives around writing. So, you know, starting the business was a, a little bit selfish in that we, this would help us shape our own lives around writing, but you know, that wasn't all of it. You know, we just, we both, it was sort of both of us, you know, it, it's not, I won't, I won't say perfect storm, but you know, when these things happen, everything sort of aligns, right. And everything aligned. We both had, uh, we both had some starter money in our bank accounts happened to at that time. We both were met in grad school. We we're both finishing up grad school. It was her idea, but our, our skill set really um, complemented each other. She was really more of the, the, marketing and the outreach and the networking she was really good at that and, and i was sort of the sit sit and run numbers and and crunch spreadsheets and and you know um write business plans and and so everything just aligned and then we found the right space which took a while too and and even when we found the space we found these contractors at build it green which was this great um reuse store it was in queens i think now it's in brooklyn um, we met, met the guy, the cashier and he's, Oh, I, you know, I'll do renovations. And this guy, Max, and he was a writer and a musician too, I think. And he did our renovation, um, at a great cost. So everything was just lining up for us. Um, and you know, we both just loved the idea because, you know, there's a practical side to writing and that you really writers need a space to go and write, um, and need a place to quiet, quiet their brain and, and let words kind of come out. Um, and I was really happy to offer that. Um, you know, funny enough, when you, when you when you run the business for that, you don't really get it for yourself. So even though I said there was some selfishness to to starting to starting the business, you know, I would say Paragraph is probably more of a a haven for the writers that come in than it is for the the people running it. But so you know, everything aligned, and the idea was just I, I don't know. I still really love love the concept. Really simple, just a quiet place to write. Um, but really necessary to the writing process. Yeah. You know, it's funny you, you touched on, uh, one of the things I was going to ask next was, um, you know, was it more of a lifestyle choice or like, was it more of like, you know, were you guys really motivated by the business aspect? You know, did you think you could turn a big profit? Um, and it seems like you kind of answered that, you know, it was like, you guys, you, you guys both had these career paths that weren't allowing a lot of time to immerse yourselves into the community, at least, you know, if not, You know, I'm not sure if Paragraph has allowed you to write any more than your past career because it probably takes a lot of time as well. Yeah. But but in a, in a, but at the same time, like if you love what you're doing more and it doesn't feel like it's like taking 
energy and, you know, the soul sucking nine to five, like when you get yeah. home and you have seven hours until you go to sleep, there's a reason a lot of people don't write, you know, yeah. it's like they feel dead. Um, I, I'm interested in one, one detail and I hope our listeners are interested as well, <laughs> but, uh, so you guys rented a space in Manhattan and like at the time, did you guys get a deal or something? And, and I'm also interested in the fact that you renovated this place and, you know, I mean, you, you had to get like permission from the landlord or something, right. Or someone who owned the space. Yeah. That's a, that's a hell of a story. Um, and then, you know, did we, I, I'll just go back. You know, we didn't, we never thought it was going to be super profitable. Our hope was it could maybe sustain us, you know, um, however, but we also thought, you know, if it, if it, if it breaks even great, um, we can always get jobs too. But, uh, yeah, it was never, I don't think a writing space, I don't, I don't know if anyone starts a writing space for the, uh, but and that's why I asked I, I you yeah. know was, I was pretty sure of the answer but you know a lot of, I think a lot of people out there are really afraid to make choices um based on what makes them feel better than yeah. like you know what they're supposed to do or what's gonna like get them ahead in a way that they've always uh, presupposed you know um, I mean I was working in tech and I was at Chase Bank and you know I was making a, I was making a lot of money and I I yeah it wasn't a hard job and I liked the people I was working with, but you know, a lot of people just didn't like the job, but stay there for health insurance, which I totally respect. People have families. Yep. Um, yep. But you know, I was young at the time and I, I didn't want to make that choice in my life. I wanted to sort of do what I loved and felt passionate about. And then, you know, if, if, if I was able to, to, to make a, make a small living, great. If not, I can go back and do, do the other job, but I didn't, I didn't, wasn't crazy about again. So yeah. Luckily, and what did you, you say know, you were, what, what was the position you said you were at? at uh, I, was, I, was, I was a project manager for um, interactive projects and I was contracting at, you know, Chase Bank for a while. That was really good money. And, you know, uh -huh. different design agencies, there were things I loved about that job. You know, I, I liked working with creatives. I liked working in tech. Um, yeah. but yeah, definitely it's a, a, a nine to five or a 10 to eight job and, yeah. and it doesn't leave a lot, a lot left over for, you know, creativity. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, so it, would it be accurate to say that had you stayed, you might be working on blockchain right now? <laughs> that's, that's a possibility. It's a possibility. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah, no, I mean, I commend you. I've, um, I've made that choice before and, uh, and like I've, um, and in a way, like I'm in that position again, where, you know, like when I was in my young twenties, I moved out to Seattle with our, one of our, with our other business partner, John Kay. And really the only reason was to find some shitty job and to be able to write, you know, and yeah. that's how I ended up becoming a graveyard shift concierge yeah. <laughs> at the apartment complex in, uh, at, at, uh, at, at which we were living. <laughs> um, but anyway, so yeah, so that's what I thought. I mean, like, you know, that was, uh, I expected that answer. That's why I yeah. had listed. I mean, you know, um, it's like this, you came, I, it sounds like you kind of came to a similar thing where in my life I was working first and writing when I could. And I was like, you know, I want to turn that on its head. And that was part of going to grad school. I want to write first and then work yeah. second. You know, exactly. um, you know, yeah. that's a, that's, I, listen, I was, that's a privileged choice to be able to make. I completely understand that, but, um, you know, I, I, it's, I, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Yeah. I think, you know, I think it's privileged. Um, I also think like, uh, I don't know. Um, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like that's like half a knee jerk response because I also think you just have to ask yourself, what do you, what are yeah. you uh, happy with? Like, what do you need yeah. to be happy and if you don't need all like, if you don't need a big house and like lots yep. of stuff and like whatever, then, then you can make that choice. If it like, right. you know, it's, it, it's really like a lifestyle choice. And like, obviously, you know, the starter money allowed you to do it. There's, there's yeah. a big element of privilege, but, um, yes. but yeah, I mean, you have to be happy living like a somewhat Spartan existence Absolutely, um, Absolutely. comparatively. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you asked about the construction. If you, um, that was, you know what? The rents in Manhattan 15 years ago were, you know, maybe COVID is going to push them back to where they were 15 years ago, yeah, but yeah. it was, it was possible. Then we got a large space and, you know, Manhattan commercial real estate is complicated. I don't know if you want to go down that rabbit hole, but you know, you pay price per square foot kind of, sure. <laughs> price per square foot was, was reasonable. And we weren't paying, you know, in Manhattan, you pay, if you have a 2000 square foot space, they call it 2,500 because you have, and you pay on space that's not there. That's just how it is. They call it loss. 
Wow. Um, yeah. You know, our space, we had 0% loss. I mean, that was unheard of. Um, they did since adjust that, you know, five or 10 years in. Um, at one uh-huh. point, 10 years in, our, our, our rent doubled. And that's when Lila was like, okay, I'm done. And, you know, we had a, we had a friendly parting uh, and, I, and I stayed on. But, it, you know, the rent made the business almost impossible, you know. So, like, that, so was her parting also, did that make it possible to continue? Yes, absolutely. Because it, yeah. you know, it could barely sustain two business partners. And when the rent doubled, well, yeah. you know, that would have, she was ready to go anyway, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, that was the excuse. But, you know, rent in Manhattan is made, you know, every, it, it's really squeezed small businesses, um, especially small businesses, small businesses for the arts. I read a piece by Gabriel Hamilton early on in COVID. Uh, she runs Prune. She was a member of our space for a while. Uh, she talked about the razor thin margins of a really successful restaurant because of the rent. And I, you know, yeah. I, I, I completely understand that. Um, rent is, yeah, I, I don't, ha, you know, had COVID not happened, it was like, how, how do we keep going? How, how does yeah. small business keep going? And, and COVID is still a big question mark. What, what's going to happen with rents? I, I, I don't know that this is solving anything, but you know, part of me is a little happy for the disruption, not for the health part of it. This is, you know, just for the way rents were going in the city. Um, something had to sort of turn it upside down a little bit. Yeah. I can only imagine, you know, I, I, I always saw New York is, um, on the trajectory towards just like a hyper wealthy city. Yes. Um, and I don't know if COVID will, st- I, I honestly am personally very dubious. People are saying, things about how like COVID's going to change everything forever. And I'm, I'm very skeptical. I think, I think people are short-sighted, but I'm, I'm, um, I'm with you. I mean, it's still, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see. Um, so, I mean, uh, you know, we'll, we'll jump into that for a second, yes. but um, uh, in oh, a but second, I just want to, yeah, oh, go sorry, ahead. Oh, the construction was really easy because our landlord was, you know, we were a tiny building. We, we honestly, I, sh- I don't know if I should say this on, on the podcast, but we didn't get permits you know, for, for our work. We really yeah. just did interior construction. We did everything under the radar. Our landlord was really hands off. Um, and we, it was like, you know, a mom and pop renovation, you know, literally us sketching on paper, how we wanted everything to be laid out. And, wow. and you know, Max, our awesome uh, general contractor, just like carrying you know, all of the supplies up three long flights of stairs and getting it done. Uh-huh. Um, Wait, so did you guys just do it under the landlord's nose? Did they even know? Kind of, yeah, I mean, they knew we were renovating, but, you know, certain landlords in the city just sort of, they're hands off. And, you know, that's that's a great thing when you're renovating. That's not such a great thing when you have leaks coming through your ceiling, you know? So uh-huh. Uh-huh. there's yeah. pluses and minuses to that. Commercial commercial leases in Manhattan, it's like owning without any benefits of owning. So yeah, right, right. I oh, mean, that's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, let, I mean, let's let's talk about um, a little bit what it's what it's been like with COVID. Um, and Aaron, maybe you can jump in here too and see because we can get a a, a user review <laughs> to put it in a tech sense. Um, but yeah, also you know, I, I want to go back to what you were saying. One of the reasons you started Paragraph was uh, you know, and and one of the reasons we started Animal Riot is because of community. And, you know, obviously that's been threatened by COVID, but at the same time, um, it's always been curious to me that commu- it, it almost seems like communities in a way become a crutch for the for the literary community. And this is kind of the first time I've brought this up. It might be blasphemy, but <laughs> I, I do see it as like, it's it's kind of um, um, a symptom of like, you know, the need for like indie presses and stuff. It's it's in the same vein, like, you know, Big, Big Five is not going to, you know, cater to the sort of fiction that, you know, we all know and love as much um, as they did in the past. And in that same way, like we've kind of had to band together, you know, and create our own communities and start our own presses and stuff like that. And I feel like this has made it even harder. Like, you know, you know how COVID has basically made, um, you know, the big five tech companies or whatever you want to call it, the big seven, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it varies depending on who you ask, but there's basically five or six companies that are, like 20% of the biggest 500 companies, public companies in the, in the world. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And COVID has made them even stronger. Um, and I feel like it's kind of the same in terms for literature. It's like, it's really difficult for us now. And we really have to start taking, you know, we're, we're really trying to figure out what we can do digitally, obviously. And, you know, you were, you were running paragraph digitally as well. Um, 
um, for a while. And it means like being really involved in social media, um, like, you know, really reaching out um, in any way we can without being able to really step out of our house. So, yeah, I mean, you can talk about uh, and Aaron, we can start with you um, if you want, whatever works. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Joy, it's easier for you to just say what what was going on and how you like because uh, I remember you said you were kind of close to maybe you're not sure if you can continue. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'll stop. I'll stop rambling and let you take yeah. over. Here. <laughs> no, no, that's um, yeah. So you're right. Like communities, the the the, the life bread. There's a, a lot there. Yeah, and like you know, every day it's like a question. So has it, I, I, you know, has it made us stronger or has it hurt us or is it both, you know? And I feel like COVID is a lot of question marks not and, and a lot of kind of not answers. I, I think the need for community became really obvious when we all were sort of locked in our homes yeah. and, and, and the want and the desire, and then also kind of running up against how to do it digitally, because it's just not as satisfying as, you know, sitting in person in the paragraph kitchen and sort of just being you know, running into writers and you know, printing out your your book and just sort of having a conversation. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, how do you translate that? And because that's really what feels good, right? Is just sort of being in proximity to other writers. So you know, we did try, and and I would love to hear Aaron's take on how how we did because you know it's like working in a dark room, um, and that's how I've I've felt, and I almost still feel right because you're not getting feedback from faces, from people coming into the space. Um, you know, you're getting some emails. Uh, I'm not saying you're not getting any feedback, but, so, you know, when, when Paragraph closed its doors um, for COVID in March, um, thereafter, I was like, you know, what's going to happen? And I and I launched our community online via Slack um, just because I'm not, I'm not great at Facebook. I don't know why. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. No, that's just, okay. Slack, Slack. I'm I'm pro Slack because yeah. they're like the little guy that Microsoft is trying to wipe out. Well, are and, they really? And their CEO Butterfield is like a genius. So <laughs> I think Slack is great. Um, yeah, I think, yeah. You know, maybe it's, it's the one that you know you're a tech person, and Slack yeah. is the one that um, all the tech people use, like the engineers use, because it's yeah. like. Um, they understand all of its features, but anyway, I'm, I'm, you know, continuing. No, I know, and it's funny because I think it's befuddled our community a little bit. Everyone feels like, oh, Slack, yeah. you know? and I think yeah. oh, it's so easy to use. Um, uh-huh. So I, think, you know, so we chose Slack. Let's, you know, open a new channel, um, and you know, it's free, and we thought the more the better, right? So let's use this as an opportunity to expand our community beyond the bounds of Manhattan and Brooklyn, um, beyond New York City. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, you know, because a lot of people in New York and New Jersey, at least for the summer months, fled. So our, our, our community wasn't there. Um, and that's sort of been really inspiring. I mean, we have people in Brazil, um, Spain, Australia, um, such far. We have such a far reach now. That feels great to me. Um, I don't know that I've been able to figure out a way to really engage our community on Slack in a way that um, is really... You know, I, I think it's great to know that we're all there. We have like probably almost 400 writers on our Slack community now, which I'm happy about. Wow, um, wow. But you know, are we are they actively engaging? Not not really. And I'm it's still sort yeah. of like are we trying to figure it out. Like how do I how do you spark that? Um, it's is it kind of like coming up with the next event or something like that? You got to keep them engaged or, yeah. or, or what is it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it probably is. And then you know, as as the owner of paragraph, you know, I'm sort of having my own. You know, I'm experiencing like experiencing this like sort of burnout of like, you know, of not having the thing the, the things that that make me really love running paragraph. Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to always like find the motivation within to kind of keep going. Um, and wondering like what does the community need, um, what's worthwhile. You know, also doing some self care in a in a stressful time. So. Uh-huh. A lot of juggling and balance um and so and then we did launch online memberships and that and, and, and a lot of events um so the online events have been pretty great we just basically took all the events we were doing before uh, uh, at our space agent roundtables pitch wars where people pitch books brian you were you were a host with us on that um uh-huh. yeah that was great that was and, a lot of fun yeah it was a lot of fun so we you know we basically just took all our events and we put them made them virtual on zoom um and, you know, that's, that's been working. I, I think it's great. Then, you know, and craft talks, we're going to do some lectures in the fall. Um, 
you know, always, you know, in, in a way it's similar, like when I was running the space, what does the community need and, and making that event happen? Now we can, we can have a much broader reach for that. You know, the, it feels great to be on a Zoom with, during the thing. Um, but, you know, but then again, we're all still virtual. So I, uh, and I did reopen the spaces in July uh, because we were allowed. And maybe this is where uh, I love Aaron's take on like, you know, so paragraph law, we, we um, converted to uh, online memberships, Slack. We opened the Slack channel. We really tried to um, bring the community online uh, and, and keep us together and, and broaden it. We reopened the spaces in um, we reopened the spaces in July, mid July, soft opening. You know, because we're really trying to make it to make sure it's COVID safe, um, and we don't really want a lot of people using the space. So that that makes it safer, and you know, still keeping all of the online stuff going. So that's sort of what what I've been doing. You know, is it sustainable through COVID? I, you know, I don't know. It's always a question mark. It's always a uh, will the landlords be that forgiving for rent because the income is certainly you know pretty much decimated from the business. Um, there's still bills to pay. So it's just like making ends meet, but you know, I still love it. I still have a passion for it. I still think it's really necessary. Um, and just always trying to navigate through, through new, new uncharted territory. Um, uh, but yeah, I'd love to hear Aaron's take on, on what that's like my end of, of doing it. I don't know what, what his, what his is. Yeah, that was going to be my, uh, uh, we were going to turn to Aaron now. So perfect timing. Um, I was basically, I'd like to hear Aaron. Well, first of all, um, I do want to note that, if if the tech stuff or like you know the digital um, bridge, if it can act like a bridge, at least you've been able to do that because I definitely think there's a lot of people out there, including me for sure, that don't even know how to like have someone come up as if they're the next on the mic, you know, in, yeah. in Zoom or like Slack, you know, to yeah. like give their pitch. Um, so anyway, so yeah, so at least you have that. Um, and and now you now you have one space open. I'm correct, yeah. right? In, in Manhattan. Brooklyn, oh, and yeah, Manhattan Brooklyn. Open. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, so you're back on your feet. That's great. And so obviously it's now it's about, um, you know, getting us, uh, all vaccinated and in the same room. Yeah. Um, I so, do if we do come to the other end of this, where we feel safe being in person, I, I think the spaces will be stronger than ever. Um, yeah, 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 that's true. Because, and yeah, I think people are really hungry to get out there. I really yeah, do. Um, yeah. So, Aaron, yeah, let's talk about how you found Paragraph. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, if you will allow me, I, I will be optimistic. I'm excited about the Paragraph brand for the future. If only that before COVID, it was um, limited mostly to physical locations, um, to the Brooklyn location, to the Manhattan location, and then there's one in California as well. And after COVID, then everything went online, and Paragraph Slack has expanded paragraph, I think, to a national and even international level. Um, and so when finally we are all vaccinated and we can fill all the desks again, um, paragraph will be back as it was before, but there'll be this enhanced um, online component, this enhanced virtual community um, that, um, yes, it didn't have before. And so I'm confident, yes, that, um, Joy, um, that um, Paragraph will come back even stronger, probably early next year. When I first arrived in um, New York, I was teaching at Brooklyn College, and I lived way, way down deep in Brooklyn. Um, and I had a small apartment, and I was very lonely. Um, and so I was searching for workspaces online and Paragraph was um, the first to pop up. Um, and I must say, when I did become a member there, um, yeah, it improved my life. Suddenly, when I moved to New York, I knew nobody. Um, but suddenly, I had something like a social life. I had events to go to. Um, there were even, there used to be, and there may be again, um, Friday night happy hours at um, Spain nearby. Um, and so I have very fond memories of, yeah, the first time I was a member, and then I left the city briefly, and now um, I'm a member again. Um, I must say, yeah, that as a full-time writer, somebody who tries to write eight hours a day, um, and some days I can do it and some days I can't, um, I need a place like Paragraph because I go crazy writing at home. I feel lazy writing at home. It just doesn't um, and so um, it's nice. I feel more respectable 
having a kind of office space mm -hmm. to which I can go and do my work. It makes me feel more legitimate as a writer, um, if you will. Um, yes. Does it affect the writing? Yeah. Does it does it affect the writing, um, or or is it just your your mood towards what you're doing, like as like uh, like yourself as, um, as a person? Both. Um, here at Paragraph, I mean, I, I I'm grateful for those times when inspiration hits and the poems just write themselves. But to be honest, that's pretty rare. Um, most of my best work has come from just grinding and grinding and grinding mm -hmm. away and revising and revising. Um, and yeah. this ethic, at least my work ethic at Paragraph, lends itself um, to that process of slow revision, slow improvement, and then once in a while a breakthrough until you reach um, the final piece, um, yeah, the final draft. Um, and so I, w I feel I wouldn't be able to do that at home uh, in that I would just be distracted by so many different things. Uh, and I don't have the desk for it. I don't have the office-like atmosphere for it. And so Paragraph has um, improved my writing in that it lends itself um, to the diligence that's necessary to, um, yes, to, be, to being a writer, to being, um, yeah, a full-time writer devoted to one's trade. Yeah, that's really true. Um, I, I couldn't agree with you more about the stuff that comes out of your pen and seems to just flow as if it had a mind, has a mind of its own. Like it does not end up being the best work. <laughs> yeah. So that's a really interesting point. Um, yeah. So, wow. I would say that's a five-star review. Um, <laughs> Thank so, you, Eric. That was yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm just hearing of this. I did not know there's a paragraph LA. Oh, so there is a, I would say a sister space called the hatchery, um, which I'll give a okay. shout out to. Um, so, you know, we are, um, we do club. We, we, if you join paragraph and you're in LA, you can use that space because of, our Oh, partners. and vice versa. Yes, exactly. Wow. That's a very good idea. Interesting. Who runs uh, the hatchery? Um, her name is, um, Talia block, I believe. And my memory is shot. So, um, I, I may have her name, her last name wrong. Oh my goodness. Uh, that, no, that's really interesting. That's a really good idea. Um, yeah, we, uh, we did something similar with another press FS, SFK press, um, in terms of just like affiliate, like, uh, and buying books and stuff like that. That that's, uh, it's just another way to connect communities. It's really cool. Um, Talia Bolnick. I'm sorry. I, I, I botched her last name. Talia there you Bolnick. Go. Yeah. We, there you I'm go. The same with them. Um, there's a Chicago space, uh, and a Toronto space and we have reciprocal memberships with, with those spaces as well. I mean, you know, we're all small, little businesses for writers. So the more we can band together, the better. And, you know, um, yeah. um, but yeah, the hatchery has been great. And, and Talia and I have been talking a lot through COVID, uh, and just our experience of, of what to do next, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 It will be very interesting to see what happens, uh, moving forward. Um, so one, uh, you know, a little bit of a tangent, but one thing I believe we talked about on the original Roundtable podcast um, episode, I believe we talked about the craziest thing that's ever happened at Paragraph. <laughs> I'm not sure. And, and, and now I can't even recall it anyway. So I think we should talk about it again. And I, I, I faintly recall it being a good story. So <laughs> now I'm trying to remember what I, what I revealed because there's been, um, did it have to do with drug use? I'm not sure, but that's a good place to start. I'm like, do I share this story? Because that's the one that comes What was it, Katie? Oh, there's that too. Yeah. Well, let's. I well, let's do both. Because <laughs> now I'm really interested in the one with drug use. <laughs> okay. I know. I'm like, should I reveal this? It wasn't dangerous. It was a, a very long time ago. Uh, I'm not going to out anyone. Very nice. Let's just, call, let's just call them Brian. <laughs> okay. Brian. I was using the space. Um, <laughs> and we suspected some drug use in the bathroom. Um, I don't know why. You know, the nice thing about Paragraph is the community is tight. So when something is happening... I, you know, I'll, I can combine the story when, you know, there was a time when someone was sleeping at the space. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll hear about it. You know, people will 
um, you know, we don't have cameras. Uh, we're not like checking footage. We just, our community is like, oh, you know, I was here at five in the morning. I, I just got into work and somebody was sleeping on the couch. Um, yeah, or yeah. someone's been in the bathroom for, you know, 15 minute uh, uh, stints for like you know, every hour. Every <laughs> hour. Yeah. yeah. Well, if, if I may interject for a moment, I just want to let our listeners know, like, you know, for paragraph, it's like, that's how comfortable a place it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's one <laughs> yes. live there. <laughs> yes. yes, absolutely. Um, but you know, it's it's it, 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 the, our community makes us safe, right? Because our community, we we really ask people to tell us what's going on because we're we're open twenty four seven. We're not there twenty four seven. Right, right, of course. And most most people are not. You know, it's really just a um, in case you need it, in case you're on deadline mm-hmm. you're really for the night. Um, so we just suspect somebody was using drugs in the bathroom, um, which is not allowed in the space. Uh-huh. And, you know, what we do with, you know, any small, smaller, large problems, we usually say, well, we, we say, hey, can you come into the office so we can talk to you? Um, and we just have a face to face conversation and to see what's going on. Um, and this person was very forthcoming about, you know, he was Brian was having problems and yeah. Um, <laughs> And he was, you know, he had a prescription for this medication, but the medication wasn't working for him. So I think he was crushing and snorting it. Okay. Um, sounds sounds like Adderall. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't, I think it might've been stronger than that, <laughs> but, um, you know, he gave us his doctor's uh, number to call. Um, you know, I think when you talk to people one-on-one, um, you know, as writers, uh, you know, it, it's it's never just like this one. It's always like a, a more complicated story, right? Like there's always like a human element to it. Um, so he really was having was struggling, and the medication wasn't helping him. So he felt like he needed to crush and sort it. We talked to his doctor. That really was an acceptable uh, way to ingest this medication. Yeah, the doctor wasn't aware of it, um, and we parted ways, uh, uh, friendly terms. But we, you know, we couldn't we couldn't have that at the space. So that's why one of the crazier stories, but. Um, you know what? Yeah, the the uh, the most interesting aspect of that was like that this person th- that Brian was so was so for- as you said so forthcoming, yeah. and that's really intriguing to me. You know, it's like so, um, uh, you would have thought that he would have just lied or something, you know, and yeah, said, but- oh, like no, I'll, oh, at least like oh no, I'll stop or something like, and then just like tried to hide it. But yeah. they were just like, oh yeah, okay. Like you shake hands and say, yo, I can't snort drugs in your plate. That's fine. I'll go. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's intriguing. Right. Yes, exactly. Um, but you know, that was really touching to me too. Um, that, yeah. Yeah. You know, you treat, you know, people, people are people and we all have problems, but I think he also understood yeah, right. that, like, we couldn't continue doing that. But, um, didn't really hear back from him, but it wasn't a it wasn't a difficult parting, surprisingly. And the person that was sleeping there, uh, I think that I don't remember how that one ended. I'm sure we confronted that person as well. We can call that person Brian if if we like. Yeah. Um, that other Brian who was sleeping on the couch uh, had uh-huh. a, you know, probably paying a membership to New York Sports Club to shower and then sleeping on our couch, which is a great deal in the city, you know. Um, yeah, it uh, is. It is. We, we did let a homeless person in once, which that's probably a controversial topic. Um, person didn't have an address and somehow they became a member. Um, I think he was a poet, you know. Um, uh-huh. uh, there's a fi- fine line between um, quirky and, you know, not having a place to shower. But right. you know, it's like, you know, uh, my heart bleeds for people with the circumstance in the city. It can happen to anyone at the same time you know, it's not really appropriate to have a membership, a paragraph if you don't have a home. So, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not a shelter. It's just, no, yeah, we're not a shelter. As much as like, I want to help people, um, paragraph can't be that place. So, you know, yeah. there's a couple of crazy things. I, think, I hope that covered it. <laughs> yeah. And no, it's really tough because it's, you want to help the person, but it's not about, um, you know, being stingy or something. It's about, it's just, you know, safety and, and thinking about the other people there. And it's, it's a really tough situation. Um, yeah. I think even that story, you know, people are, you know, it was like, well, there was, there, you know, we had to protect the community. Is that a controversial, you know, like homeless people aren't, aren't inherently dangerous. Right. Yeah. Um, right, right. So then again, yeah, we're not a shelter. So yeah, it's a, it's a different, it's a, diff- a different space. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. That's, that, that's really that first story. I'm glad you brought that one up. That's very interesting. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, Aaron, I have a quick question for you. Um, how many books that you've published 
have you at least worked on at Paragraph? I want to let the kid. This is kind of like um, when Kevin Durant lets all the all the kids know when he's at the school that they can be an NBA star as well. Um, <laughs> if they just grow two more feet. <laughs> Let's see. One. I wrote my the verse novel there, um, Mister Either Or. Um, I wrote much of my second book of poetry, Manhattanite, um, at Paragraph. I wrote much of my third book of poetry, American Divine, at Paragraph. I translated all of Apollonius's Jason and the Argonauts there. Wow. And now, um, this is kind of ridiculous, but I have, I have four books coming out um, next year, and those were all worked on at Paragraph. And so those, lots of those are translations, and one is a new book of poetry. Um, and so I would say seven, seven, two of my own, and no, three of my own and four translations. Yes, yes. And I, I won't mention I won't mention all the crazy things I know that have happened at Paragraph because Joy's on the line. Um, but I will say that um, I did sleep over once one night during Hurricane Sandy um, because I was living in Chinatown and the lower Manhattan was flooding and the power was out. <laughs> and so I said, Screw it. I didn't sleep much. I mostly sleep oh, the skylight. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, actually, have, uh, maybe Aaron should tell the story, the story, the crazy stories. He probably knows more than I do. <laughs> yeah. Darren, do you know any other crazy stories about Paragraph? I do, but I'm not going to reveal them. Um, I will say that I was very sympathetic also. I agree with Joy. I was very sympathetic with the homeless woman who must have been about a year, year and a half ago. Um, right, ended Brian. up spending um, the night um, and before it was realized, yeah, it became clear that she was homeless. <laughs> But she was remarkable. And then, as I recall, talking to um, the administrative assistant in the office, um, that she had references and phone numbers. It was a very thorough. That's right. I remember those. Yes. Yes. And so, um, yes, one should not um, feel bad about being taken in by her. Um, And she was very pleasant. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, I think we should talk a bit more. I mean, if we can, about the new online uh, events that are taking place. I noticed, um, for example, um, there's a great poet, um, Diana Gurch. Is that right? Gurch? Getch. Diana Getch. Who um, has been offering free of charge. You can can contribute tips through Venmo, if I understand properly. Um, mm-hmm. But she's been um, offering various um, writing classes online for free. Is that right, Joy? Yeah, Aaron, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, so in, in early on in COVID, so Diana Getch is a wonderful, gifted poet, but also a really gifted teacher, taught a lot at Iowa. And, you know, we've always sort of done some things with, with Diana. Um, she approached us for what's called a, a free writing class she teaches, free dash writing, um, even though, and it was by donation. So free writing is just, you know, a way to help writers generate words. Uh, it's like keeping your muscles couple, right? Um, right, right. It's, and, uh, yeah, yeah. I would describe it as um, almost like just like running s- sprints or something. I don't know. Like yeah. it's not warming up. It's like you're definitely practicing. But you're um, practicing, right. Which is, you know, yeah. and she and I have talked about this, you know, writing, we don't, you know, and, and Aaron, you touched on this too that in the inspiration part of writing is few and far between and, and, and often not our best work. It's really this grind, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. And how do we keep, you know, and, and unlike, you know, ballet or dance or music, we don't think about this, you know, just regular practice to keep our, our minds sharp uh, or, you know, mm-hmm. on this. And, and that's sort of what Diana's class is. It's just sort of teaching our brains to sort of generate words uh in this in yeah this and to open up to, to, that, 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 that like as you said like the grind can make you really closed off if you just yeah like just like narrow in on it um over over a long period of time um yeah i i, I even sometimes have to step back totally and not yeah. write for like a week or two or maybe even longer um yes. and it was the same thing with guitar when i was learning to play guitar um and i was learning to like you know play lead like solos and blues solos um, I would get caught in the same like repetitive actions and then yeah. I would step back and then I would come back and I would play this immediately, like play this riff where I was like, whoa, like where'd that come from? You know? Yeah. 
Yeah, um, it's, like, yeah. it's a grind without making it a grind, right? So much of a grind yeah. that you want to avoid it. But I mean, maybe we all sort of want to avoid writing in some ways. But um, so her class, uh, she is just like just a really gifted teacher, um, almost like a zen-like, I want to say, because the feedback we've gotten from the classes is wonderful. And it really, I think, synced very well in COVID times because people's brains were on overdrive, right? Um, right, right. You know, and this was a way to sort of kind of ground us as writers and and keep us going. Because um, there was that question in the beginning, like, what matters? Does this does this even matter anymore? Um, and maybe there's that always that that question, that existential dread that every writer has. But I think even even um, yep. exacerbated by COVID, right? Um, you yep. know, bodies yep. piling up on trucks, and I'm trying to write a, a, a short story. You know, um, well, yeah. Were were we talking about that? I that this is, I'm having, yeah. Yeah, we may have been. Um, yeah, so, we so. were at some point. Yeah, this is like I'm having crazy deja vu, but I think it was like actually me and you yes. <laughs> talking yes. about this. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this dread, and 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 this class, you know, she thought she thought, well, you know, let me offer this by donation, um, and let's see, let's see if we can help writers. Now, you know, I think that's the, the most successful things we do is like, what can help our community? Like, what do, what do people need right now? Um, and I think it was born out of that, and. And she did it weekly on Thursday nights and I have my kids almost full time. So I, I honestly wasn't able to participate in it. I don't know, Aaron, if you ever took the class, were you able to take one? I have not. I have been present though for one of Diana's classes when it was held in the Paragraph Cafe. And I was really impressed. It's mostly, um, as Diana explained it, letting one free oneself free write is just um, a matter of allowing oneself as a writer to lower one's standards for a moment. <laughs> yes. And so... Isn't that the key to happiness? Lower standards? Yes, yeah, sorry about that. Um, allowing oneself to lower one's standards for a moment. That we as writers, we've read all of this great literature. We aspire to write great literature. And that keeps us from being comfortable just expressing ourselves, just pouring words out on a page. And so she said she encouraged the writers to allow themselves to lower their standards and just write. And then they would get together, they would go into the writing space and write quietly for 10 or 15 minutes and then report back to Diana. And they would read, some of them would read um, what they'd come up with and it was, and it was remarkable. Um, and more than that, they said, um, because of this liberating aspect of it. They ended up writing in ways they had never written before. They allowed themselves to sort of break new ground. Um, and so I was, I was very, very impressed with her and um, with her teaching. Yes. I, I, Aaron, I think you, you perfectly encapsulated what her weekly class is. And, and I think she brings something new each week. Um, it's a 20 week, it wound up being a 20 week course. Um, she's winding up the Thursday night one now. And she's added a Wednesday afternoon one, um, which will go. And yeah, it's been, so she's done it for uh, almost 20 weeks now. And she's had, I would say 50 to 75 people a week attending, um, very enthusiastically attending. Um, so the nice thing about Zoom is that we can, that, it, that can be 50, it can be 500. Uh, it's sort of the same class for her. Um, and I think it's really kept people going through through a really difficult time. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, Zoom. Uh, I, I have such ambivalence about Zoom. Yeah, um, don't I, I just you know, yeah, it's 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 a necessary, and I don't want to say evil, but you know, for me personally, it's like obvious. Evil doesn't encapsulate the the feeling no. I have. It, it's just um, it's not what I prefer. No, That's it's for one sure. of us. Yeah. I, I will say, so what I found from doing these online events, craft talks and pitch wars and um, round tables and Diana's class, um, you know, Diana does a webinar. Uh, it, it takes a certain skill to sort of look at a screen without people in the room and teach a class uh, in, a, in a really um, personal way that she's able to. Uh, I think mm -hmm. she has a mm -hmm. really unique... Uh, ability to do that. And some, some teachers do. I mean, I, I, I couldn't, you know, uh, know that I'm engaging a room or not even a room, but a virtual room is full of people. Um, but she is able to do that. Uh, and 
she then at the very end will bring students in and then, and then also she makes it participatory. So as Aaron was saying, people will go and, and free write and then they'll come on the screen and, or put their uh, audio on and, and, you know, read what they wrote. Um, that's, you know, yeah. possible, of course. So she has a way of making it very intimate. Um, and I, I think that's to her credit. Uh, I don't know that all teachers can, can teach a zoom webinar and make it that intimate. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if, uh, you know, this is something somewhat personal for me, but I, I really don't mind sharing it. I think people should share it more. Um, and I think the culture is changing. But um, anyway, um, you know, I'm, I'm a, a sober person and I, I attend meetings, you know, um, I'm not like I'm not like, you know, I don't go like every day or anything like that. Um, but since COVID has happened, I just I have completely stopped. Um, I've gone to a couple over Zoom and it's just it's just like almost like nothing, you know, and, okay. and it feels terrible, but, um, um, in a way, I, I don't know. I think I feel guilty more than, um, it's actually like really impacting me, uh, horribly. Um, but I would like to go and it's just like, it's just, there's something about zoom that just it takes zoom. away a little bit from the, from the community, like the communal spirit. But I don't know. I feel, I feel like an asshole because it, it is, it's really, it's like holding things together at the same time, you know? Well, um, I, I completely, I, I, I hear you because, you know, we have these Zoom events, which I love having. And I always have this little hesitation before they start, like, like a big sigh of like, oh, got to get on camera, got to open Zoom. Yeah. Uh, you know, but then when we do them, it's not sort of as bad as I thought it was going to be. I don't know how to put it, but yeah, um, yeah, there yeah. is something gratifying about it, but I'm never expecting that. And I, it, it takes a lot of energy to, to, to do them. Then again, I think I, maybe I felt a little bit the same with the live events. Maybe I'm just not like, uh, uh and, and you know, maybe I'm just not a center of attention kind of person, but I hear you. on Yeah. This. And also it, it's a different medium. I mean, like, for example, like, you know, I just brought that up, but, um, at the same time when we did the pitch wars thing, I had a ton of fun. It yeah. was great. You know, I mean, I, I guess maybe like an AA or an NA meeting is just not as <laughs> um, inherently exciting, but I mean, it can be, <laughs> but <laughs> depending on the, depending on the day, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, in that sense, like there's a lot of, um, you know, when you're trying to share and there's a lot of like stiltedness between passing the mic proverbially and, you yeah. know, all that stuff. And, and as I said, like, I don't know for you specifically, like going back to tech as acting as a bridge between like, you to like, um, you know, connect these moments in time, um, you know, simply your ability to function on Slack and zoom, like it's something you shouldn't take for granted because I really think, um, it would, it would like, if I was in your place, it would, I, it would be very difficult for me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, I mean the, your ability to kind of use it seamlessly has definitely helped. Uh, and cause like, for example, that event that I did with you guys was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I, I take, yeah, I take yeah. credit for that. I have good tech support in the background. Um, because that's a whole different skill to be able to host an event and work all the, um, you know, the hand raising and the moving people on and off camera, moving mics on and off. That's a whole different, it's like, uh, I can't do all those things simultaneously. Um, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Do you want to, before we, before we sign off, um, I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about what you guys are working on now, speaking of writing, you know, this is what we're, what we're all trying to support. So, um, I know joy, you, you talked a little, I, I don't know if you do want to share this, so I'm kind of putting you on the spot and you oh, can no, I'm, I'm happy to share, but I want to give, give it to Aaron first. I feel like I've monopolized a lot of this, a lot of this call. <laughs> That's okay. You're this Aaron knows you're the, uh, you have the spotlight today. <laughs> He's the supporting <laughs> cast. Thank you, thank you, Brian, for asking. Um, I'm at a weird time in my um, creative work in that I finished everything. Um, I had a real, I had a real burst of creative activity in the er during COVID, basically when I was I was in California for three months, ex um, sort of marooned with my mom in her house, um, and so I got a lot of, lot of writing done there, and I translated um, Baudelaire's Flowers of Evil. Um, for W.W. W. Norton, and I'm, I'm done with that now. Um, it's all I worked on oh, okay. for um, about four months. Um, and I'm happy to say, um, Joy, you'll remember I hired um, Saul Anton, who's a PhD oh, in yeah. French, um, to trash my translations. Uh, yeah, anyone named Anton is going to do yes, that. Yes, yes. He's great. He's great. That's like, the name, that's like the name of our first like fully sentient AI. Oh. 
I didn't know you were thinking of iron. That, that's great. I'm really happy to hear that. Yes. Thank you. Um, and so now I need to come up with new stuff. And that's always really scary. And that you, you worry as a writer yeah. when you finish something that you'll never be able to write again. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's a, it's almost a terrible moment. Yeah. And so you always, you always, I say that people ask me if I'm a writer, I say I was a writer and I hope to be today and tomorrow. <laughs> That's it. God willing. <laughs> Aaron. I have faith. I have faith in you, Aaron. <laughs> I do too, Aaron. Aaron, you wrote through the, the, the toughest time when you were in California. I remember marooned in California. Um, you were, you were so productive. You know, I'm, I'm so impressed by that. I think we were all sort of, watching uh, terrible Netflix shows and not writing. And you were, you know, <laughs> I remember it yeah. feels like another time. There was the tiger King. Everyone was watching the tiger King. Yeah. The tiger. Yeah. yeah that's I'll right. never get that terrible. time back of my life. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was trying to find you. money on that. Um, Joy. Um, yeah. Uh, well, are you, how's your novel coming along? Um, so what about you, Joy? Are you willing to share? Sure. I mean, I'm working on a novel. Um, and unlike Aaron, I have guilt because you know, I've spent a lot of my time and energy transitioning paragraphs online, taking care of my kids, do, dealing with their school. Um, and, you know, this summer I'm back to it. And what you guys said before about the grind was I was really happy to hear that um, because, uh, you know, I've been journaling a lot, which kind of helps loosen things up. But the actual book feels like a grind. So I'm glad yeah, that yeah. I'm glad it's supposed to feel like a grind because. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the bar is pretty low for what's on the page and now I have to improve it. So, um, so I'm both writing and editing, uh, and my hope was to finish it by the end of the summer, at least a good working draft. And, um, I guess the summer is technically not over until September 21st. Right. So I have a, I have a few more weeks. You know, yeah, fun fact. Um, you know, there actually technically isn't a, uh, you know, people say it's like the equinox or the solstice, but um, that's kind of a casual, um, an unofficial way. There's no technical turn. But anyway, I'm a meteorology nerd. I need to stop. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. But what about what about the novel itself? Do you want to talk about a little bit what it's about? Because I thought it was really interesting. Oh, it's um, it's a story of a compulsive gambler, a racetrack gambler um, who essentially burns down his life uh, uncontrollably. But uh, or I should say, um, what's the word? Um, inevitably. Um, uh, but, you know, very, very charismatic character um, and just sort of from the beginning to the end, um, maybe not much change in, in, in him, but uh, lots of change and destruction around him. Um, and, and that's, that's the book. I'm not, I guess I'm not great at encapsulating it. I'll have to get better. So I no, that, no, that's work. great. I'm, I'm really curious about that. Um, so when you're, if you need a beta reader, you know, I'm always around. Yeah. Oh yeah. We talked about that. The racetrack stuff is, is, you know, most gambling books are about, um, uh, casino gambling is, is I guess much more glamorous to write about than the racetrack. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The racetrack is pretty yeah. low brow. Well, you're uh, the only the only other person I can think of is Bukowski, and uh, I think women around the world will be happy for you to supplant him. So, <laughs> oh God, if I could supplant him, that that's a that's a lofty goal. If I could just finish the book, that would be nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, well, you know, no pressure. Can can we can we ask you the same question? Sure. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Now you can because for a long time I I, I had a lot of trouble. Um, not starting projects, but sticking to projects. Like I'm the kind of person that like I start something and I quickly know if it's something that I should go deeper on, you know, um, uh, go deeper with. And I, 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 uh, I, I just, I was just rotating through all of these attempts and I finally landed on this one idea. Um, I'm not sure how much I should say about it. I th basically it's this guy who, uh, you know, he's not, he's not satisfied with his life you now to put it very simply. And someone comes into his life who, um, he, and, and he lost his mother, um, a, uh, um, a few years ago. Um, and he hates his father. Um, and someone comes into his life who basically can give him exactly how the stock market's going to behave. Um, and so he can basically get rich as long as he can like get the capital together. Um, and, you know, you kind of think it's like this, uh, corporate thriller, mm -hmm. but, um, it turns out to be a little more than it's like, you know, the twist at the end is like, there's kind of like a speculative fiction aspect 
um, about like who this guy is. Ganesha is his name. Um, you think he's just this cosmopolitan like Indian man, but uh, he turns out to be something else. Um, I know that's that's like a huge tease and like everyone's like boring, <laughs> but I, I really don't want to say anymore because I don't want to give away the twist, you know. I don't think it's boring. Um, I mean, the choice, the choice he has to make is not boring. Is that is that a novel? Is, is there? Yeah, yeah, it's a novel. Um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's basically like, you know, he's the first the the first challenge is going to be running into like the SEC and stuff, and like you know uh -huh. they're going to be like you know there's no way you can do this. There's no way you can like know exactly what's going to happen. You know all this stuff and and like for for the the good majority of the book, it's like this corporate thriller that I envision, um, and then and then something is revealed. And then, you know, we'll so, talk about that later. So do you outline? I, you know what I do and I don't, um, I have very loose, like little sketches that I write all over the place. Um, and then I have these notes at the end of like the next section that I've written, you know, um, I, so I out and, and I've, I've done one rigid outline for my last novel when I was like, in the middle of when I was kind of like before my last two like drafts, you know? Um, but other than that, I, I don't really, um, I don't do like hard outlining. I don't know. What, what about you? Well, I should, Pat, I, I call up. So I have no idea what I'm doing. It's my first novel. Um, I wrote huh. lots of pages, uh, at a point where I just needed to write pages in no particular yeah, order yeah. because I just need them to pile up. Um, yeah. Just to feel like it was something. Um, the idea felt like a, a novel it still does, but, there was no, I had no rhyme or reason or structure. I finished a, a, a draft of like the first part of it. I read it back and it put me to sleep. So I thought, you know, maybe I should outline um, and actually. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Not, yeah, yeah. I, think, I think I was right. I knew what the plot was somewhere in my head, but I was just writing around it. And, and okay. Like, yeah, that's a very it. interesting point. Um, yeah. I actually think that outlining should be specifically for plot, especially yeah. for people that are very literary minded. Um, and, and I, I've made it a goal for myself to make this second novel a lot more accessible. Um, yeah. cause the feedback I got from my first novel was like very difficult to read, blah, blah, blah. And I'm still very, I'll always be proud of it. And it's always yeah. kind of what I aspire for in fiction. Yeah. And it very much upsets me that we're not there anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's because of where we are with entertainment and stuff. Um, yeah. I just think like you're competing with things that are too passive and it's just, you can't write like, uh, you know, like pension anymore. Yeah. Um, but, and it's really upsetting to me because I really thought I wrote something special. Um, not to be, I don't know, that's not the most humble thing to say, but, yeah. um, and isn't but, the goal just to write what we want to write, you know? Um, yeah. And that's the thing. So I had to, I had, I have really had to sit with myself and say, okay, so what can I do to, to get to like, you know, cause I want to be read as much as I want to write something great. Yeah. So, so I had to find some, some sort of reconciliation. Um, and I, and I, I really thought about this one. Like it took, it took me a long time and that's why I tried so many different ideas. And what you just said is so important. I think, um, you know, um, like I'm, I'm glad we got here at least at like the end of the podcast, because yeah. like in terms of just the writing itself, you know, um, uh, it writing around the plot, I, th I just think is something so common. I think it's so ubiquitous with writers. And I've, so I've heard it. Um, yeah, I, I heard my, my first class ever at Sarah Lawrence was with, uh, Melissa Phoebos, this, uh, nonfiction writer. She wrote, um, Whip Smart, which was a memoir about, um, her experience as a dominatrix, uh -huh. um, and, 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 an, and an addict. Um, it's, it's really great. But, um, yeah, the first thing she said in class was like, you know, people like most stories I read, most pieces I read, um, from, from like, you know, quote unquote amateurs, people that haven't made it like to where they should be yet is uh, like, you know, out of a 30 page story, like 28 pages of it will be writing around the thing. And then yeah. there'll be one page where they finally get to the point, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think I yeah. want to force you to get to the point. And, and this question yeah. probably should have been for Aaron, who has far more experience. But, you know, for example, there was, you know, early on in the story, one of the main characters gets pregnant at a very young age, unexpectedly. You know, I didn't write that scene, right? I wrote every other scene around it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, isn't that so obvious that you, you, you need to write that? write that scene but I think like you said too I don't expect my book to ever be like a, a page turner um because I probably do write a little more quiet uh and economically uh -huh. that's a style and a choice so but you know plot I I do think plot is really really important <laughs> like you know to not you know I don't want to fall asleep in my own book so 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've I'm lucky because I I kind of inherently feel that way. Um, and so I mean I don't want to call myself lucky. Like we'll see if I ever get anything else read. But <laughs> um, yeah. but at the same time, like you know, um, the way I write is also if I'm reading a book, I don't personally need plot all the time. You know. Yeah. Um, exactly. It's always kind of been language first. So yeah, that's why it's it was really it it was a moment of reckoning for me for sure. I, I mean, we're, we're about at an hour. Um, okay. I could close it up. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to touch on? No, I'm so grateful for this. Um, you know, I'm, well, thank you for giving me the time to talk about paragraph and, um, and the focus, and I'm glad we're able to redo it. And, um, as always, I really love our conversations. So I'm just, uh, very happy to connect. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Um, and thank you, Aaron, even though you're out in the, uh, in the <laughs> abyss. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, attack with, we'll, we'll, uh, we should put the cover photo for this episode is the, the, Absolutely. the video I just took. Okay. That's it for today's episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and review on whichever platform you're listening. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at animal riot press. That's at animal riot press or through our website, animal This has been the 22nd episode a rehash of the 22nd episode of the Animal Riot podcast with your host, Brian Birnbaum, and featuring Joy Parisi and Aaron Puchigian. Transcripts for our deaf and hard of hearing animals are provided by Jonathan Kay, and we're produced by Katie Rainey. See you later, you filthy animals. Belly.